0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 Podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. He is Peter Watson and I am David Steele and this is the Earth 2 Podcast. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Welcome back. We are doing issue 47 of Justice League of America, the second part of the 1966 Justice League of America and Justice Society team-up crossover. Call it what you will, but it was published on the 26th of July, 1966, with a cover date of September 1966. Peter, do that thing when you tell me about the cover. I certainly shall. Once again, we have a lovely purple background on the cover. We have got the amazing 1966 GoGo checks right across the top, which I adore. We have Justice League of America emblazoned at the top and we've got a roll call down each side mm. from the justice league of america we have the atom batman flash green lantern and hawkman what's wonderful is the atom's head is about half the size of everyone else's yes. still not the proper size atom's head should be but hey that's fine mm-hmm. down the right hand side we've got the justice society of america roll call and that is black canary dr fate dr midnight sandman the spectre and wildcats but the main feature of this cover is the image from the centre of it. Antimatter Man, the the villain, so to speak, of our piece. Mm. And he is being punched in the face by a giant, and I mean giant, Batman. Yes. In the background, we have small figures of Flash, Dr. Fate, and Hawkman, all being held back by Antimatter Man. Yeah, Antimatter Man has got a hold of the Flash, he's got a hold of Dr. Fate, and Hawkman swinging his mace. I love the fact that Batman is swinging in on a very, very big line. He is, yes. And Hawkman, interestingly, has the wrong coloured straps holding his wings on. Yes, for a second I thought it was Hawkgirl for some reason. It's interesting because, (laughs) you know, without going going too far, or going into too much story detail at this early point, it's a slightly unrepresentative cover, isn't it? Yeah, this does not happen. (laughs) Yes, this does not happen. (laughs) But what really sets us off is the fact that the big banner across the top of it says, To touch antimatter man was to risk instant destruction. And you've literally got a giant Batman giving him a right hook to the jaw. Yeah, as we say, like Flash and Doctor Fate being held fast. So maybe they're at risk of instant destruction as well. Could be. And another banner at the bottom of the cover says, "The most amazing, death-defying battle ever fought." Fantastic. As I think I said in the last episode, I've got this comic at early ninety-three, and I don't think I've ever noticed that the JLA and JSA are both listed alphabetically. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the way it should be. <laughs> Well, see, if it was order of how cool they are, it would be Sandman, Doctor Fate, Spectre, Doctor Midnight, Wildcat, Black Canary. Anyway, so yeah, this massive, enormous Batman on the cover is basically reflecting also what we touched on last time, which is this was the height of Batmania in the wake of the launch mm-hmm. of the TV series. Yes. And as we said when we when we did the letters page for the last issue, they were not being subtle about the fact that they were putting Batman on the cover to try and shift more copies and, and fair play, as Mr Terrific might say. Because, let's be honest, there's no point in... Publishing the comics if no one's going to buy them. Very, very true. If no one bought them, we wouldn't be reading them today. Exactly. So, shall we turn over to the splash page? Well, please do, please do. Along the top, we have a little roll call of the the Justice Society. We see Black Canary, Sandman, Wildcat, Doctor Midnight, Spectre and Doctor Fate. Along the bottom, we see the five assembled JLA's. We see Hawkman, Green Lantern, Flash, Batman and the Atom. And the left side, we see Blockbuster, the right side of the enormous panel. We see Solomon Grundy. At the top are told the stories by Gardner Fox, art by Mike Sikowski, and Sid Green, and in between there's a massive caption box that goes a little something like this. For you Johnny-come-latelys who missed the first half of this extravaganza, we'll clue you in that certain people and superheroes have been mysteriously switched from Earth 1 to Earth 2, and vice-versa. <laughs> <laughs> Included among the displaced victims were blockbuster now running amok on earth 2 and solomon grundy now stalking earth 1 for his hated foe green lantern finally the spectre had extended himself between both earths to prevent an onrushing collision between them only to start losing his grip because of the nearby presence of a wanderer from the antimatter universe now that these dire events have you all shook up how can you resist reading
1: The Bridge, Bridge Between, Between Earths?
0: Here we are. Terrific, right. With no further ado, let's get straight into the story. In a laboratory at Ivy University, Enrichetta Negrini checks her space warping machine as Ray Atom Palmer desperately tries to get his size and weight controls working. Yes, this panel picks up where we left Ray and Miss Negrini the last time we saw them in issue 46. And that's an, that's an interesting detail uh, about her space warping machine because I don't think we actually got that information in the last one. So, no. Ray Palmer is in the background trying furiously to get his size-changing equipment to work. Miss Negrini is at the machine and she says, I think I'm actually getting somewhere, shrinking the space between planets. And Ray is thinking, And I'm getting nowhere with my size shrinking. Miss Negrini continues in panel two, All my life I've dreamed of warping space, so man won't need spaceships to travel to the distant planets. Now with my machine, man will be able to step off Earth directly onto Mars or Venus. The next panel, she's leaving the room. and She says, I'll take a break to eat now. The machine will continue to run by itself. And at the foreground of the panel, you see Ray concentrating hard. And he's thinking, hot. My palms are burning hot. There's little black and red, little radiating waves coming off his hands. Ray is looking at his hands and he's thinking It's as if my size and weight controls were getting an overload of power The way an engine gets hot and breaks down from a sudden influx of too much power. In the next panel we see Ray operating a switch on the space warp machine and indeed he's thinking The space warper's the only thing around here that could cause this to happen. Better switch it off And in the next panel with that familiar bust of the atom effect design we see him shrinking down into superhero costumes the atom, thinking as he does so. (sighs) My controls are back to normal! I'm getting smaller! Fantastic! Right, we now move to the top of page 3. Simultaneously, on Earth 2, another surprising effect caused by the switching off of the space warping machine. And we see the Sandman, Wildcat and Dr. Freight and the unmasked Bruce Wayne, remember, because that's the only way he can control Blockbuster. And Blockbuster is fading out, and the Sandman is in the middle of saying, You can't go on babysitting Blockbuster the rest of your life, Batman. And then as Blockbuster starts to fade out, Dr. Fate says, Maybe he won't have to. Look! Blockbuster is disappearing. And then the caption for the next panel. Then before the bulging eyes of the crime fighters. Blockbuster has vanished and been replaced by Solomon Grundy, and indeed Bruce Wayne says, He's turned into Solomon Grundy. Grundy here looking very much like popular naughty comedian Peter K. Yes, can see that. Effie was cosplaying a blue mini. Yeah. <laughs> No, he just looks like Peter Kay. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Sandman says, Or in some mysterious manner, Solomon Grundy was substituted in place of Blockbuster. The next panel with a zap, Grundy lunges forward and punches Wildcat saying, You, Green Lantern, I kill. And Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman says, Grundy's flipped his eyeballs. He thinks Wildcat is Green Lantern. Grundy swings at Bruce Wayne and says, You, Green Lantern 2, I kill. And in the other half of the panel, we see the Sandman firing his new special sand gun, which he used so well in the last episode, throwing some sand forward, and the sand that he's thrown, basically, well, Wesley has a little thinking that tells us what he's doing. I'll give him something to bellow at. A pile of cement blocks. Yes, his gun converts sand into very handy cement blocks. Anyway, the next panel, with a thunk and a crunch, Grundy makes short work of them, and Dr. Freight, in close-up, thinks... Strange. I, I sense that my magic globe in Justice Society headquarters is glowing, alerting me to a worldwide danger. Over the page to page four, Grundy is flailing around these the cement blocks that the Sandman has thrown at him. They're flying in the air, and Grundy says... Ah! All you Green Lantern! Kill you all! And Sandman says... He's slamming my cement blocks back at us. Dr Fate has taken to the air, and he's gesturing with his familiar magical lightning bolts, and he is saying, Before I check out the danger, I'll turn these cement blocks to custard pies. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. The caption for panel two of page four says, (laughs) and so like a wild scene in an old time slapstick comedy a custard pie brawl oh, this is this is amazing this panel is going on the on the socials with a lot of splat sound effects we see wildcat and sandman and flash that's a mistake that's a mistake we shouldn't see the flash there at all Bruce Wayne, he's taking a custard pie to the face, but they've all thrown them at Grundy. Um, we can see Bruce and Wildcat especially getting Grundy in the face, getting them in the coupon. So there's three giant, enormous splat sound effects and an unexpected, incorrect cameo from The Flash. Oh, well. Mm. And as he's being struck by the custard pies, Grundy says, "fui Me no like. No, he really doesn't like, because in the bottom panel of page four, he lunges out with a thwap and says, Me kill you, Green Lanterns. Mm. Dead. And he knocks out Wildcat. Sandman's hat goes flying off. Bruce Wayne gets struck as well. And Sandman is saying, Grundy's so obsessed by his head for the Emerald Gladiator, he thinks everyone he sees now is his arch-enemy. Oof! As he's struck. Tremendous. Now, top of page five. And on Earth One, the ground shakes as an ominous rumbling fills the mountain where Solomon Grundy had been imprisoned. And we see from left to right, watching the mountain, Hawkman Black Canary... Flash, Dr. Midnight, and Green Lantern. And Barry Allen, the Flash is saying, Listen, we weren't sure whether the mountain could hold Solomon Grundy, and it can't. And Green Lantern says, He's breaking loose. And then the caption for Parallel 2: To the amazement of the Combined Justice League Society members, and bursting from the side of the mountain, it's Blockbuster. And a voice says, That isn't Solomon Grundy. Who is he? I'd never seen him before. Whoever he is, he spells trouble. With rocks flying then we move to panel three and a caption that says In the warped mind of the Blockbuster anyone who is not Bruce Wayne or his brother Roland Desmond is a hated foe. Blockbuster is swinging wildly. Green Lantern goes down. He grabs Dr Midnight by the shoulder. Hawkman gets grabbed by the leg and the Flash is trying a high-speed punch in his chest. Dr Midnight is saying Phew! His hand grip is so strong it feels like a metal clamp. Blockbuster roars And in the bottom panel We see Blockbuster grabbing Hawkman, swaying him over his head to take out the flash. Black Canary is running forward thinking, When this pellet from my amulet smashes into him, its liquid contents will splash all over his body and deep freeze him. Over the page to page six and the first caption says, Filled with the energies from the Alfred Memorial Laboratory, the caveman colossus, I blast that pellet as... with a gah! The sort of pink lightning that we've already seen Blockbuster demonstrate comes out of his eyes and zaps the pellet that Black Canary has thrown forward. There's an awful lot of people having powers that can freeze things. and Yes. All of a sudden. Is it's it weird, eh? I think they have reappropriated icicles technology. Yeah, the interesting. GSRs. I think mm. they could have, you're right. Black Canary is thinking, The big baboon show me an eyeful. Okay, I'll give him a handful of blunt dynamite. And in the next panel, Canary continues, I'll judo throw you like a... Like a... And Blockbuster, as Canary has ducked down and grabbed its arm, as obviously she's attempting to throw him over in a style that we've already seen her in other episodes. Caption for panel three says, Four fearful fighting men rally from blows that would KO ordinary mortals. Yep, everyone zooms in to help. Hawkman from the air. Green Lantern blasting Blockbuster with a burst of energy from his power ring saying, Cup out, Lady Bird, we'll bowl over this oddball. And in the bottom left of the panel, Flash is twirling his arms and there's an eight ball. <laughs> yes, from out of nowhere. Yeah, and he seems to be striking Blockbuster with it. It looks as though actually Blockbuster's got a hold of Canary almost at the angle. On the right-hand side of the panel, Dr Midnight has got his all-purpose magic gun, which we saw so much of in the last episode. He's got that out and he's firing that at Blockbuster and he's saying, I'll operate on him with my cyril tuber. And then the final caption for the final panel on page six says, But they find that their superpowered attack only rouses the blockbuster to whip up a fireworks display that rocks them back on their heels. Yeah, this is mental. With a kaboom and a vrush and a zoom and a yow and a zowie, sort of all sorts of coloured explosions, that seems, firing off, like very much like fireworks. And what looks like a couple of rockets firing out from him as well. He's basically hurling everything that they've thrown at him back and then some. mm mm-hmm. Blimey, the energy that he got from the Alfred Memorial Laboratory is something else. It certainly is. Anyway, we arrive on page 7. While the superstars are taking their lumps on Earth 1, on Earth 2, Dr Fate is eyeing his crystal orb. Yes, Dr Fate's gone back to headquarters. We can see his crystal ball on the ground, and he's looking at it, and he can see the, the spectre in his dreadful position of trying to stop the two Earths from colliding. Dr Fate thinks... It reveals the Spectre in warp space, keeping Earth-1 from colliding with Earth-2. Though he's weakening fast, he was able to contact me for help through my crystal ball. Even more ominous, I see a being from the antimatter universe advancing toward Earth-2, along Spectre's body. If he touches Earth with his antimatter body, both he and the planet will suffer instant annihilation. Yes, and we see a very small figure casting a long shadow, the anti-matter man, and he's walking. And he's walking along a sort of green background, which makes me think he's either walking along the spectre's head or one of his feet or perish the thought. That could be a close-up of the spectre's bottom. It could be. Good grief. It could be. Or it could be the cape. It could be the cape. I hope it's the cape. I hope it's not a close-up of the spectre's bottom. That'd be <laughs> quite worrying. You know, we're not that sort of podcast. Yeah. So the rest of the page is taken up with a massive panel of Doctor Fate, right in the thick of things. And he is saying, He must never be allowed to set his disaster foot on Earth. I'll need all the help I can get from my fellow members. And he's gesturing, and the magical light bulbs are flying from his hands, and we see the other JLA and JSA members that we've seen in the story. We see Wildcat appearing, we see Batman appearing, we see Sandman appearing, we see Black Canary, Doctor Midnight, Hawkman, and Green Lantern. There's no sign of The Flash, but he's in the next page, so maybe The Flash was diverted to the custard pie fight with Solomon Grundy for a second. Might have been... May have been. The rest of the JSA and GLA members are arriving. Wildcat says, "Huh? What's happening?" Batman says, "Some strange power is drawing us spaceward." Black Canary says, "Another trick of our opponent." And Green Lantern says, "No, my power ring tells me we've been caught up by Doctor Fate's magic. He must need us for a mission even more important than stopping that bellowing brute below." Now, I'm reading from my original copy of Issue 47, and I'll point out that in this case, Doctor Fate's boots have been left white. Yes, that's what I've got here as well. I'm not sure if, if that's maybe a side effect of the magic or the sort of cosmic dust that seems to be flying around his, his teammates, or maybe it's just a mistake. Who can say? Anyway, so we're now at the top of page 8, and a close-up insert panel of Doctor Fate, and he's thinking again, I'll have to cope them with magic. Otherwise, when they touch Antimatter Man as they battle him, they'll blow up. And also, I must place an atmosphere on the battleground so they can breathe in warp space. It's very good of Dr Fate to do all that. And let us know that he was doing that as well. Yeah, because <laughs> doubtless we would have continued reading and said things like, um, surely they're not able to touch antimatter man, or how can they breathe in warp space? Which, is, let's be honest, it's the sort of things we would say. So there's a caption for the next panel, and it says... Swirled together by the magic of the Wonder Wizard, the superstars of time only to gasp out what has happened on their Earths. Everyone's there now, Green Lantern, Batman, Black Canary, Wildcat, Hawkman, Sandman, The Flash and Doctor Midnight, and they're all in the midst of a little cloud of blue energy. Batman is saying, Solomon Grundy thought we were all Green Lanterns. He and Blockbuster, whom you were fighting, sure make a double-barrelled threat. And Black Canary says, They were bad enough. What sort of earth-shaking threat can it be that demands we leave those creatures to fight it? And then a nice close-up panel of Hal Jordan Green Lantern. He says, One thing yet remains. While we are out fighting in space, I must prevent Solomon Grundy and Blockbuster from going in any destructive rampages on our Earth. Interesting. So, there's a massive big caption box to wind up this opening chapter, and it says... What can the Emerald Crusader do to stop these terrifying threats to law and order, which he could not do when he was fighting them? Not only that, but how are our superheroes going to handle anti-matter man? Wish One touch of his finger if Dr Fate's magic should fail, and they'll all blow up! Story continues on second page following. Yes, and the rest of the page is rounded out with a nice house advertisement for an issue of Challengers of the Unknown. Now, do you remember when we did the last issue and you you remarked on the change in tone of the caption boxes? Yes. I think this one, with its wish, Uh it's really taking the biscuit, isn't it? It certainly is. It's almost trying to be hip as well. Yes. Which as we know, sixty D C is not the best at. No. In fact, comics in general are not the best at doing that. Generally they tend to start these things after the, the Zeitgeist is gone. Yeah. It always reminds me of that bit in Dracula E. D. nineteen seventy two when they're all squabbling over tickets for the jazz spectacular at the Albert Hall. <laughs> Of course. Right, so we're over the page. Oh, and look, there's a full-page advertisement. Boys and girls, Batman with Robin the Boy Wonder magic photo kits. Yes, that's a full-page advertisement, which I'll stick on the socials as an example of Batmania. So we're now onto a full-page panel for the next part of the story. And we have an opening caption which says... The "The bridge between between Earths, part two. And there's a lot going on. We see the spectre still stretching out between the two Earths. But standing over him with a weird yellow thing going round his, his middle, it's the Antimatter Man. Spectre looks terrific, it must be said. I mean, this is great work from Sikowski and Green. It looks ace. Yes. And all the other superheroes who we've had in this story, they're all floating in that little blue cloud on the left hand of the splash panel. Green Lantern, Doctor Fate, and Hawkman are at the top. And Green Lantern is saying Great Guardians, there's the Spectre forming a bridge between the two Earths. Yep. Dr. Fate says, Vectors keeping Earth 1 and Earth 2 from colliding thanks to the magic booster shot I gave him. Now it's up to us to prevent Antimatter Man from setting foot on either Earth. And in and sort of in the middle, Wildcat, Batman and the Flash. And Batman says, Thanks to Dr. Fate's magic ring, we three are in a position to fight our foe around his midsection. The next three are Sandman, Black Canary and Dr. Midnight. Doctor Midnight looks as if he's carrying a bag of some description. Possibly his Doctor's bag. They're all down the bottom. Could be. And continuing on from what Batman was saying then, the Sandman says, While well, we three do our fighting atop Spectre's body, aiming at antimatter man's feet. And in rounding out this epic splash page, there's another caption running along the bottom of the panel, and it says, Gigantic, colossal, titanic, a towering figure of contramatter a living walking world-wrecking bomb the safety of two earths depends on each of the nine superheroes doing his utmost to overcome the incredible anti-matter man tremendous over the page then to page 10 to the attack With fists and knuckles, superweapons and raw courage, the members of Justice League and Justice Society hurl themselves at a foe whose very touch means instant destruction. Do they hesitate? Dilly-dally? Perish forbid. (laughs) They take their battle stations and... There's a lot going on in this page. In the first panel, it's a close up of the Antimatter Man's very scary head. Yes. Dr. Fate's zapping him with his magic lightning bolts. There's little clouds, and Dr. Fate's saying, My magical atomic explosions should mushroom cloud him into helplessness. Hawkman is flying in to kick at the Antimatter Man, and he's saying, I'm putting my whole soul into this. And Green Lantern is using his power ring to conjure a giant green fist, which is striking Antimatter Man, and Green Lantern says, I'm taking a hand in this too. Then in panel two, we've got the antimatter man's midriff, and that yellow sort of ring that was going around his stomach that we described in the splash panel. That's where Wildcat, Flash, and Batman are. Wildcat's striking with a thud and saying, From this magic ring around his body, I can hand him my best Sunday punches. And then the Flash says, I'll hit him so fast and hard he'll think he's been bettered by a human trip hammer. Yeah, and with a whap and a zap and a walk, we see the Flash moving at super speed. Striking Antimatter Man repeatedly, and then with another thud, Batman strikes and says, I'll bat this man around, Batman style. In this final panel of page 10, we are down with Black Canary, Dr. Midnight, and Sandman, who are all at the feet of the Antimatter Man as he stands on the Spectre's back. Sandman is zapping the ankles of Antimatter Man, and as he does so, he is saying, I'll bracelet his ankles with glass cuffs to keep him right where he is. So obviously Wesley has produced some sand, hurled it into the air, zapped it with his gun and this is formed into cuffs to kind of hold him in possession. Dr Midnight is firing a blast from his fancy gun at one of Matter Man's feet and he is saying, My psychotuber will deaden his nerves so he can't move a muscle. And then Black Canary is saying, I'll back up your action with this expanding sticky web that'll glue him in place. And we're not quite sure if she's got it. No. How would you describe it? Like crawling vines, like a yeah. natural net. Yeah, that's ranging over the same foot that Dr Fate is firing at. They've made them very superheroic, yeah. gadget-orientated superheroic, in a way that, that they haven't been before. It's very odd, uh-huh. very mm-hmm. unsettling. So we move to the top of page 11, and the caption says, Hoo-ha! Is Antimatter man ever in trouble? You bet he is, but... He can dish it out as well as take it. As if, for instance, his eerie energies surge out in a flow of furious force. Whee! And <laughs> look what happens. With a burst of energy around him, Hawkman's wings are wrapping around his body. And he says, My wings, coiling about me, getting tighter, tighter. Dr. Fate is suddenly trapped in a cage. And well, he tells us what the cage is made of. I've been trapped in my own magical lightnings. And finally, Green Lantern, the giant hand that he'd conjured to punch Anti-Matter Man, has turned on him and is holding him. And Hal says, My own power hand crushing me. Makes me think why Green Lantern just doesn't stop projecting the hand. (laughs) You would think? Yeah, maybe he'll do that in the next page. We'll see. So, back at the Anti-Matter Man's (laughs) midriff, Goodness me, the Flash hasn't done well here at all because his feet have grown to ridiculous enormous size. And he says, My feet, so big, so heavy, I can't move them. Wildcat and Batman look as if they've been stuck together. Wildcat is saying, Whatever odd powers Antimatter matter man has, he sure knows how to use them. He put us out of action. And Batman confirms this by saying, Wildcat, we're stuck together, back to back. And then, down at the feet of the anti-matter man, we see Black Canary, and her hair has grown to ridiculous, more than Rapunzel, more than Medusa from the Inhumans levels. Canary says, "Eh, my hair's grown so long, I'm tripping over it." And Doctor Midnight, his little um tuber seems to have backfired on him because he seems to be caught in a block of ice, and he's saying, "I'm so c- cold, I can I can hardly move. My tuber has g- gone haywire." And then finally, my old mate Wesley Dodds, well, he says it, he says it himself, "I'm being buried in my own sand." And indeed, he's in the middle of a sand dune that seems to come out of nowhere. Good gosh! The antimatter man has some powers on him, doesn't he? Yes. Over the page to page twelve. What a miserable mess! But danger serves to bring out the best in our superheroes. Knocked down, stomped on by adversity, they rally round each other to do by teamwork what might be, ahem, a bit difficult as individuals. <laughs> So, Green Lantern is zapping Hawkman to obviously free him from his own wings. Hawkman says, Thanks for the assist, GL. My pinions are no longer pinning me down. Green Lantern says, I wish I could help you, Dr Fate, but those magical cage bars of yours are yellow, and my ring is powerless against... Yeah, it looks as though the power hand that was capturing Hal seems to be breaking up or dissolving. There's a bit of a burst of energy around him. And then Dr Fate, however, says, My cage! Starting to fall. Well, that's quite scary. Indeed, because in the next panel, the cage plummets past where the Flash, Wildcat and Batman are. Flash is in the middle of whirling his arms around. His feet are still comically huge. Flash is saying, Maybe my feet can't move, but my arms sure can. Get ready to go over the top, Batman and Wildcat. Batman and Wildcat still stuck together and now spinning up into the air, round and round. Dr. Fate falls and collides with the back of the Spectre in the bottom panel. Black Canary is saying, at least I can use my long hair to tie up his ankles so he can't go any further. And she's obviously running around the antimatter man's ankles and all that ridiculous hair, but she, she was still wearing a wig at this point, wasn't she? I was going to raise that at the end. Yeah, maybe it's her own hair that's been converted or maybe it's made the wig grow really long. Either way, mm-hmm. elsewhere, Sandman is fired from his little special sand gun and he's helping Dr Midnight and Sandman is saying, Grab hold, Dr Midnight i formed a glass rescue rod to pull yourself out of that refrigeration unit you're in. Sure enough, we can see Dr Midnight starting to emerge. And then as his cage arrives, Dr Fate is thinking, Spectre is making my fall easy, turning himself soft at this point of his body. That's very nice of the Spectre. We're now at the top of page 13. The ghostly guardian is doing more than that. He makes his body bend, give to the weight of the cage, then bounces it upward swiftly through the air. The Spectre has flexed his, his ghostly giant buttocks to send Dr. Fate hurling back up into space. This is hilarious. Down amongst the Spectre's buttocks, we can see that Black Canary's hair stroke wig is still entwined around the Antimatter Man. And she remarks as to, to what Spectre's just done Nice going, Spectre! You're joining in on the fun! And the Sandman is saying, He's shifting my pile of sand around the Antimatter Man's ankles! And Dr. Midnight's saying, there go my frigid air coils to make the sand of Black Canary's hair solid as a cement building foundation. I hope someone's got a pair of scissors in one of their new guns so they can cut Canary's new hair off. Anyway, there's so much going on, this is mental. The caption for panel two says, Up, up, up goes Dr Fate in his magic cage, flung high by the rippling, <laughs> bouncing body of the spirit sleuth. The spirits lose buttocks. Just come out and say it, Gardner Fox. So yes, Dr Fate goes hurtling past on the right-hand side. Batman and Wildcat are still being whirled around with a whack and a pow and whaps, and they're striking Antimatter Man. And a flash calls to Dr Fate as he goes past. What do you think of my suckle go round, Dr Fate? Dr Fate replies, It's a real spinner winner, Flash. And then the caption for the final panel on this page. Until he arrives back where he started. And... And Dr. Fate is now back up with Hawkman and Green Lantern, and Dr. Fate says, OK, pals, don't spare the horses. You know what to do. At the top of page 14 now, and the caption for the first panel says, Mighty hands fasten on the magical bars. Slam the cage with knockout force against the antimatter jaw. Terrific. With a blap sound effect, Hawkman and Green Lantern have grabbed Dr. Fate's cage, and they've rammed it into the antimatter man's face. Hawkman says, that ought to make him see stars. And Green Lantern finishes... The Mental Kind. As the antimatter man momentarily loses consciousness, his alien energies fade out, releasing the superheroes from his powers. Yes, and with a... Whamp! Whamp! And a whoop! Suck Flash and Wildcat and Batman are all punching him in the midriff. The final panel of page 14 is captioned... Even as they lock his feet inside the frozen mound of hair and cement... The low heroes on the antimatter totem pole make absolutely certain of their foe. And it turns out Black Canary, or possibly Dr. Midnight, or possibly Sandman, does have a pair of scissors, because with a snip we can see Black Canary trimming her heavily exaggerated locks, and she's saying, long hair went out of fashion years ago, here's where I get rid of mine. Dr. Midnight is firing his special gun, and he's saying, just a little more. And that guy will give up walking for exercise. And Sandman is also firing his sand gun. And he's saying, yeah, 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 his feet do seem a bit cramped. We move to the top of page 15. Attacking all at the same time, the Justice League and Justice Society members topple their foe from his precarious perch on the spectre, thrusting him out into the vast gulfs of warp space. So, indeed, as the Antimatter Man falls away from Spectre and starts drifting off, Green Lantern remarks, Keep pushing. Make like you're in a crowded subway. We want Antimatter Man as far away as possible from Spectre when he comes to. Sandman, Black Canary, and Dr. Midnight are still standing. The now that we can see that they're on the Spectre's cape up near his shoulder, and they're pushing at Antimatter Man's feet. Green Lantern, Dr. Fate, and Hawkman are up near his shoulder pushing, and I'm not really sure what they're pushing against, but Flash, Wildcat, and Batman are still around the, the golden ring around these midriff, and they're pushing hard too. And the Flash is saying, "Once we have him at a safe distance, we can continue our fight till we make him see the light." And Sandman remarks, "Earth is off limits to him." Then we get an insect panel of Doctor Fate, and Doctor, there's a lot of this Doctor Fate, as you've said in the past. Doctor Fate is definitely the sort of de facto sort of leader when it comes to this sort of stuff, Peter, I think. Mm -hmm. As we have an inset panel of Dr. Fate, and he's thinking... My magic probing of antimatter man's mind tells me he is an explorer from his own antimatter universe. He regards everything that has happened to him on his journey, his fights with Spectre and with us, as unfamiliar hazards of warp space travel, which he must overcome to reach his destination. We're now on to page 16. There are only two panels on page 16. And the first panel is basically a big pile up out in space. I suppose this is actually quite similar to I suppose, the intent of the front cover. Yes, without a giant Batman. Yeah. The caption for the panel says Out into space plunge the superheroes to resume the battle with the alien explorer who must be denied entrance to Earth 1 or Earth 2. Sock! Bam! <laughs> Zowie! Look at him go! Yeah, so we see that the uh, Antimatter Man's ankles are still bound. We can see Sandman attempting to bind his wrists by creating some more manacles from his gun. The Flash is doing some high speed pummeling on the back of Antimatter Man's leg. Wildcat is having a punch. Hawkman's having a punch. Batman's having a punch. Black Canary's having a kick. Dr. Fate zapping him in the middle with his lightning bolts. Green Lantern's conjured up a hammer to strike him on the head. Poor Antimatter Man, he probably just wants to go home. The caption for the next panel then. But wait! This contra-cat is a claw-happy fighter who relishes a bang-up, rock'em-sock'em rhubarb. He hits out and... Tuck back your eyeballs, readers. This is a moment of truth. The Justice League and the Justice Society boys are really catching it. Matter Man has not been constrained by Sandman's manacles. And he just lashes out. We see Wildcat being struck, Hawkman, Sandman, Canary going flying. He's brought up his knee and struck the Flash. Batman gets sent going as well. Green Lantern collides with Doctor Fate. And then this panel has another little caption which says, Hold it, guys and gals. Time out for a breather as we back-check on the Atom. Yes, I'd wondered what happened to the Atom. We're now on page 17, and the first caption says, In his Ivy University laboratory, where the Tiny Titan has been investigating Enrichetta Negrini's space warp machine... Yeah, and we see the Atom shrunk down to any size, operating some switches. This is what he's thinking. By turning this dial, I find I can focus through the helix and into warp space. Eh? That's the spectre between two Earths. The Atom has a little screen, and it's very blurred, not very clear, but we can see the two Earths and we can see the spectre. The Atom gets a close-up in the next panel space, and he's thinking, The two planets are moving together, and despite all Spectre's efforts, he can't stop them. Should those Earths meet, they'll explode. I've got to help him. The caption for the next panel. Armed with a duplicate of his size and weight controls, he dives into the energy curtain of the warp screen. Wow. This space warp machine is something else. I mean, Miss Nick she's obviously... A genius. Yeah, she's kind of dangerous. Yeah, well, all science is dangerous. Yeah, but you know, oof, okay. <laughs> that, that's a that's a bit of a red flag from from Mister Watson there, listeners. <laughs> well, no, what I'm asking is, like, you know, you, you mentioned that she she reappeared in the, the yes. 80s Power of Atom series. I mean, was she ever a villain, or was she just a scientist? It's been a while since I've read it. I don't think she went bad. So I just right, think okay. she's uh, a scientist. Right. Okay. I've got a few issues out of it myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dig them out and see if she's in any of them. So. Yeah. Yeah, I love this fact that the atom basically just dives into the warp screen and it take, basically takes him to the spectre. As he dives in, he's thinking... By making myself small as a molecule, I'll go right through the energy screen into warp space. If my calculations are correct, I ought to <laughs> land somewhere near the spectre. And he does. I mean, with a little flash to signify, the atom has appeared right in front of the spectre's face. And the spectre the spectre recognises the atom. Let's reiterate, this is the first time the Spectre has been seen with other superheroes since he was revived and Showcase a couple of months ago. Which begs the question, how did the Atom recognise the Spectre? How did anyone of the non-JSAs? Well, well that's, ah, okay. that's exactly what I'm about to say. The Spectre recognises the Atom straight away, which makes me think, has there been an unseen adventure somewhere where the? the Spectre has already come back and met some of the superheroes? Maybe Jim Corrigan had been reading some comics that reprint the adventures of the Earth-1 superheroes. I don't know. Anyway, Could be. the Atom arrives and the Spectre says, Adam, just in the nick of time, the magic Doctor Faye put inside of me to help hold the earth apart is fading out. And the atom, hovering in front of the spectre's eyeline, says, Spectre, I want to shrink you to an inch in height, then expand you. However, I must warn you that when you expand again, the chances are you'll be blown up, might be destroyed. But that's the only way I can see how to save both earths. The decision is yours. Top of page 18, the spectre replies. Do it, Adam, and fast. I will willingly sacrifice my existence for that of two Earths. Atom replies, Okay, I'm going to shrink down to the subatomic universe to avoid the blast of your explosion. Send me a mental command when to switch on the controls. And the caption for the next panel says, Then, as the tiny titan places his spare size and weight control device on the ghostly guardian. And we see a little blue circle with an Atom logo on it, which is presumably his spare equipment. He's placed that onto the spectre. There's a couple of giant click sound effects and the atom says, There, now you're in range of the control device. I'm going down. The caption for the next panel, Swiftly shrinks the spectre, closer and closer come the great planets. The next panel shows the two Earths in space moving ever closer together, and right in the middle we can still see the spectre as he starts to shrink. And as he does so, he thinks, Fortunately, these approaching Earths are in warp space, or their gravitational attraction for each other would destroy them anyhow. The caption for the next panel. The Atom too has become infinitely smaller. And we see indeed, yes, that Ray has shrunk down very, very small in amongst the, the atoms. And he's currently balanced on a, a round green disc with some yellow holes in it, which does look a bit, you know, to my eyes, very much like Robbie Reed's H-Style. And as he perches there, the Atom is thinking, Thanks to the atmosphere which Dr. Fate put around the Spectre, this oxygen atom I've shrunk into will enable me to breathe in perfect comfort. That's handy caption for the next panel suddenly a spectral message yes and obviously ray is receiving from the ghostly guardian because we hear a voice saying now adam switch on and then with a couple of clicks Ray activates the spare device we move to the top of page 19 a flaring colossal explosion blossoms upward and outward there is no sound in space to hurled the super brobnaginian detonation—only <laughs> that titanic blaze that signals the blowing apart of the spectre. Oh my goodness! Yet yeah, in a massive burst of red smoke and energy and flame, that's indeed what's happened. Good grief! Then the caption for the next panel says, "And as that awesome explosion sends its shock waves out across warp space, it flings Earth One and Earth Two apart." Back into their normal orbits, from which Enrichetta Negrini's space warping machine first drew them. Yes, and we see the two Earths flying away from each other. There's a sort of cloud of pink and white cosmic dust in between. I wonder if that's all that's left of of the spectre. So yes, the caption then for the next panel. Even inside his subatomic haven, the tiny Titan feels and shudders to that frightful blast. And we see the atom still standing on the the little green disk with the yellow and black dots. And the atom is thinking, There she blows! Well, this is the only way to do it. Even the shutting off Enrichetta's machine couldn't send these Earths back to where they belonged. Once in motion, this was the only way to stop them. I'm glad the atom said so, because I was sitting sitting here wondering, thinking, What? Wait, what, what, what? What? Anyway, the caption for the next panel. Moments later... And we see the atom, starting to grow in size, and he's thinking, I guess it's safe now to come out of hiding. <sighs> Poor Spectre. He sure was a hero. He gave his existence to save. Great galaxy, is that the Spectre? And the final panel of page 19 shows the Spectre starting to reassemble. It's almost like he's forming out of a cloud. And the atom appears, a little flash of energy, and the Spectre says, Yes, Adam, I'm getting back into shape. He's, he's hitting the gym. Though the psycho matter of my spirit body was explosively flung to all corners of this warped universe, I still maintain control of its elements. Well, thank goodness for that. Yes. Page 20, first panel, shows the spectre and the atom. The smiling broadly. It looks like they're flying through space. And the spectre is saying, Just before I exploded to smithereens, I imbued my body with spiritual magnetic attraction so that no matter how far apart I was flung, it would be drawn back to normal after a while. And the Atom's delighted because he says, Spectre Ecular. Tremendous. A caption for the next panel. Shortly, Spectre and Atom speed toward antimatter Man and their superhero friends. They're flying along, speeding through space, and the Atom is stretched out quite casually on the Spectre's hood, and the Spectre is saying, We're moving so fast, we've almost caught up to the shock waves flung out by my explosion. And then as he's holding the Atom in his hand in the next panel, he says, Slip inside my protective cloak, Adam. You're going to have a ringside view of what happens next. I've already alerted Dr. Fade and Green Lantern of what's in store. Chapter 2 rounds out with a caption box that says A startling surprise! A wondrous wind-up to the story on the fifth page following. Yes, yeah, so the rest of that page is filled out with an advertisement for the Atom's own comic. The opposite page has an 80-page giant Lois Lane advert. with the letters page for the issue. We have the direct currents for the issue. We have some Caps hobby hints. We have a Palisades amusement park and the stamp advertisement. And then on page 21, we have another splash panel with a large caption at the top which says The, the Bridge, bridge between, between Earths, Part 3. three. We have another full page splash panel. Quite a lot of them in this issue, it must be said. And the Spectre and the other heroes are all in space. The other heroes are back in their little blue cloud that they were in before. And they're looking up, we can see the Antimatter Man. It looks like he's caught in an explosion, but actually, the Spectre points out, There goes Antimatter Man. The shock waves from my exploding body have finally arrived here, and they're blasting him back into his own universe. Black Kennedy remarks, with not a moment to spare, Spectre. And the Flash says, He had us in a bad spot, but you were the cleaning fluid that rubbed it out. (laughs) That's an excellent metaphor from Barry. So we're now at the top of page 22, and... The Atom and the Spectre have joined all the heroes and they're all conversing, and the Flash says, We aren't finished yet. We still have Solomon Grundy and Blockbuster to take care of. And Wildcat says, I just hope they haven't destroyed too much property or hurt anyone in their senseless rages. Green Lantern says, Oh, you needn't worry too much about Blockbuster and Solomon Grundy. Just before Dr Fate us off our Earths, I willed my power ring to bring Solomon Grundy and Blockbuster together. From what you told me, Solomon Grundy thought everybody was Green Lantern, and Blockbuster hated everyone but his brother and Bruce Wayne. And so the next panel has a little, one of those little shimmery borders to it, because we're, we're looking at events that are happening elsewhere and elsewhere. And this panel shows Solomon Grundy and Blockbuster duking it out. Green Lantern's narration for the panel says And so, locked in titanic struggle, the two hateful brutes have been trading battering blows. And the final panel for page 22 is a caption that says, The superheroes arrive at the fight arena just in time to see. And with a giant zocco, Solomon Grundy is striking Blockbuster with a left hook. And with a crow, Blockbuster is striking Grundy with his. Those blows have been enough to take out Grundy and Blockbuster completely. Because all we see is the silhouettes of the heroes. Perhaps it's the shadows of the heroes, actually. As they look down upon them, we can see Grundy's feet and legs as he's out for the count. And Blockbuster's feet and legs, he's out for the count. And someone says... They knocked each other out. And one of the other heroes says... Get set for more fireworks when they come to. Right, the caption for the next panel... Blockbuster stirs. His eyes pop at the sight of his fallen foe. With a grr, Blockbuster's eyes are open and he's looking in front of him. And then the caption for the next panel... Solomon Grundy stares wide-mouthed at the Titanic terror. And Grundy says... You... Good man, me not hate you no more. Frankly, that's the scariest looking Grundy face I've ever seen. That's horrible. That's really, really unsettling. Panel 4 has a caption that says, They lunge at each other, but no longer in hate and rage. Instead, they laugh, their eyes sparkling with friendship. And this is quite a funny panel of Blockbuster and Grundy thumping and slapping and thudding each other on the back. And Grundy says... Hus be friends. And Botbuster says, Gah! go!" And a voice off-panel says, What's got into those ex-bitter enemies? And then the final panel, page 23, the caption says, The surprises are not done with yet. The long arms of friendship reach out to engulf the superheroes. Yeah, amazing. Grundy draws the Flash, Wildcat, Green Lantern and Batman into an enormous bear hug and he says, you good guys, too, not hate you either. Batman says, Okay, you like us, but don't hug so hard. Black Canary says, They knocked the hate out of each other. And Dr. Midnight says, If only we could get people and nations to knock hate out of each other without going to war. And the atom, stood on Dr. Midnight's shoulder, says, Like peace, man. Real peace. <laughs> Fantastic top of page twenty four and so with a reformed friendly solomon grundy the justice society members return homeward along with all the other displaced people of earth too and sandman says we'll talk things over at our secret headquarters dr Midnight says decide what to do with solomon grundy friend of the people that's a nice panel actually because grundy's smiling away wildcat's smiling away spectre's smiling away Dr. Midnight looks delighted, as does Black Canary. Then the caption for panel two says, While Blockbuster and the Justice League members, along with the displaced Earth people, return to Earth One. They're not quite as smiley, but Batman is saying, The Alfred Foundation will still study Blockbuster, although I don't believe he'll give us any more trouble. And the Atom says, What about Enrichetta Negrini? Do you think we should ask her to give up her space warp experiments? And then Batman says, No, Atom. Risk is a necessary and calculated risk of all scientific research. And the Flash remarks, In her particular case, Enrichetta Negrini never realized she was tampering with the forces of nature. And Green Lantern concludes the 1966 Justice League and Justice Society team-up by saying, Besides, we superheroes are always around to make the world safe, right, everybody? And the closing caption box says, and we all echo right. Fantastic. Well, before we finish, I've got to question Batman's line of dialogue here. Risk is a necessary and calculated risk of all scientific <laughs> research. Yes, 10 points off for repetition, Batman. Well done, Dr. Batman. Yes. <laughs> well, what, what did you make of that then? It was all out action, episode two. It was great. I mean, there was some crazy stuff, like, you know, Black Canaries hair growing to ridiculous yeah. level, and then her just perfectly cutting it off blindly. As you do. It's a good thing it's a wig. Again, I don't, I don't know how that works. It's very strange. I'm still fascinated by um, Sandman and Doctor Midnight, who are you know, always fairly unique, sort of quite interesting characters, mm. suddenly just becoming guys with magic guns. I'm not really a fan of that. Yeah. A weird thing that happened in this issue is the revelation that Green Lantern basically just got Blockbuster and Solomon done to fight each other while they were away because mm. that's issue 47 mm. issue 45 was the very first shaggy man story right and the conclusion of that is they can't defeat the shaggy man so they create another shaggy man so they just fight each other for all eternity so basically within the space of two issues they've done the same thing it's very frustrating i think it was 45 written by Gardner as well yes uh-huh all these all yeah. these ones were written by Gardner. that's a fair point i haven't read that story in a long time yeah i'm familiar with it i used to own a copy of course They could have shown it at the time, just before Mm -hmm. fate called them all off into space. They could have had a a little panel of, what are we going to do about Solomon Grundy and Blockbuster And Hal going, Mm -hmm. I know, we'll do this. But it would have interrupted the flow too much at that point in the story, I think. You know, it was a lot of fun. I loved the custard pie fight. That was hilarious. With the cameo from The Flash. Yeah, I love the fact that the Atom can just hop into a television screen and beam himself into warp space. It's basically just like an advancement of his telephone powers, where he can just dive into the telephone line and go there, so I suppose it's similar. I suppose it's not too far away from the time pool either, in a way. Yeah, true. Huh. Mm-hmm. My biggest takeaway is that I was really, really impressed by the artwork. I mean, I don't know how much of it was the or how much of it was Sig Green, or how much of it was Sikowski. Huh. but it's obvious that Sikowski has been influenced by what Murphy Anderson's been doing elsewhere. I mean... We made a lot of fuss about how this is Batmania, period, and Batman's on cover, but this this could have quite easily almost... In the same way that, you know, Captain America Civil War is as much an Avengers movie as a Captain America movie. This yeah. could have been as much an issue of the Spectre as much as an issue of JLA, JSA, you know. Yes, the I liked the way the Spectre was involved in it, yeah. Uh-huh. Everyone seems to recognise the Spectre from Earth-1. That seems to be a given. Also, interestingly, this is the first time Hal Jordan meets the Spectre. So so it is. Which is very interesting, considering he ends up being the Spectre in the far future. Spoilers. So, oh my goodness. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's really true. Wow. Yeah, so there we go. Yeah, that big splash panel on page nine. That's the first time. Mm-hmm. <whistles> wow, that's ace. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that's aces. That's terrific. That's a great thing to point out. Definitely. It's a lot of fun. Very different, as we said already, to the other ones, because the heroes yeah. were all together interesting the anti-matter man didn't have a line a single line of dialogue no. dr fate is able to read his mind and get his motivation that was interesting because it it meant we weren't bogged down by pages of anti-matter man talking about what was going on the heroes just got on and got to do lots of stuff yeah it also made him a, a lot more alien mm. so do you think he's from quartz then well certainly the universe of quartz because that is the anti-matter universe he could be i liked bit where he's basically you know revealed as an explorer you know, he's got a been lost that was quite interesting. They could have used him in Crisis Symphony Infinite Earths as the big bad. That would have been really interesting to like, just yeah. bring out this, this whole character because it's a fascinating character that's not tapped at all. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, maybe when we write our DC comic that's going to plug in all these gaps, we're going to talk about how the Anti-Matter Man was defeated by the Anti-Monitor. Yes. How they squared up and fought. Mm-hmm. Just imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really have any negative stuff to say about this one at all. I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the custard pie fight. That is amazing. I want to try and recreate that with action figures. What are your thoughts on the hip lingo? That's being (laughs) thrown around willy-nilly. Well, the Atom coming out with Peace Man, that was very anachronistic. That was a bit jarring. Even in the captions, though? That's exactly what I was going to say. As you said, the last time, the captions are are a lot looser. Yeah. They're also trying to move the times. Are they trying to emulate what Stan Lee was doing over at the competition? If so, they're not doing it hugely well. (laughs) No. (laughs) You know, going for that sort of hype, which he would do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. What, What were your thoughts on it, then? I honestly feel it's kind of disposable. I'm not a big fan of the suddenly giving the old guys all this new stuff. Like we've talked about before about uh, Black Canary's choker and the stuff that's in that. I really don't like the magic gun Doctor Midnight has. That seems yes. that, I keep on saying magic gun, the scientific gun yeah. that he has that can generate stuff. Sandman throwing some sand and then firing a beam and creating cement blocks. That sort of thing is too green lanterny. It's not really. Yes. It's not really something that he could build. It's, it seems. It just seems a step too far as far as the realism at all it's quite fantastic I know the, it's supposed to be fantastic we're watching yes. a guy who straps on hawk wings and fly about antimatter space yeah I know what you mean because I think it said when we did issue 46 that the Sandman um. initially wasn't even really a superhero he was just a masked yeah. Warish adventurer, and then yes. things got a bit freaky when the Jack Kirby and Joe Simon stuff started. So, but uh-huh. you're right. I mean, this is a step further because, and neither of those runs was he magic gun device guy. It's it's about yeah. it's about as far from the the Matt Wagner Guy Davis Wesley mm. Dodds as it's possible yeah. to get. And I think that'd be hilarious yeah. to kind of imagine Guy Davis drawing him. Hang on, Diane. Is he? I'll just throw this <laughs> sand and turn the sand into cement blocks, and that will stop yeah. Lieutenant Burke from catching us. <laughs> Very interesting, but it's you're right. It's a step too far, and it'll be interesting to see how much more we see of Doctor Midnight and how much more we see of Sandman in the various yeah. team ups. And if that's perpetuated, um, because I mean, I think over the course of all of the team ups over the, the decades, I think Sandman is one of the guys who pops up the least. Yeah, that's true. We really don't really see very much of him at all. Mm. Doctor Midnight, a little bit more of, but yeah. um, Sandman, he just he vanishes practically. I know he's obviously in a couple more of them, but you know we don't see much of him at all. But it'll be interesting to see if, if those characteristics and tendencies and new powers are actually maintained. It's weird to see as well that when Doctor Fate summons the heroes, he just summons the heroes that have been involved in the story so far. Yes. As opposed to the full league and society or anyone that he knows. It's possible he was just doing that to save time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> rather than get everyone else in and bring them up to speed about mm. what was going on. It's, it's interesting that Doctor Fate knew who was involved and knew yeah. who to get hold of. That's a good point as well, yeah. Mm. And I would like to have seen more of the swaps of characters between Earth 1 and Earth 2 as well. Yes. Because that's a fascinating aspect. The only villains we saw swapped were Solomon Grundy and yeah. Blockbuster, but what if the Earth 1 Joker and the Earth 2 Lex Luthor swapped places? Imagine that had happened. And yeah. Two Lexes and two jo- I mean, that would have been crazy. Yeah, I mean, we have got the examples, obviously, in part one of the, the bride and groom being swapped uh-huh. and the, the the sports people being swapped. So, I mean, did that other boxer turn up on a golfing green? And were they the only people? Or did it happen all across the world? And what was the what was the fallout of that? Did it mean that people mm-hmm. knew about Parallel Arts? We didn't really get how that was addressed. It was just a like very clever, very funny, very entertaining gimmick in the first one. It would have been nice to see more of that, you're right. Yeah. What if a pilot who was flying a plane swap places with someone who wasn't... Couldn't fly a plane, yeah. Exactly. Oh, oh. Exactly. One other thing that I want to point out as well is there were a lot of large, very large panels. Yes. Uh There were a good few full-page splashes, quite a few pages where they were only taken up by, you know, three panels at the most or two panels at the most, so it was quite economically told. Mm -hmm. They seemed to be going for the the all-out, entertaining, somewhere spectacular. Yes. Rather than making it a thick, context-heavy slice of things to sort of you know chew and Uh plough through the thing i always sort of say sometimes you want a three-course meal sometimes you just want a can of lilt and a snickers bar so it was definitely that yeah there we go so shall we move on to have a look at the the reaction then i think that's an excellent idea so this is from issue 51 of justice league of america the issue which uh satana finishes off her questing Yay! Oh, fantastic! So, we finally <laughs> reached that milestone. We finally caught up that we did six months ago, if not longer. So, there we are. Yeah. So, the first letter goes something like this. Dear editor, JLA 47, together with 46, of course, was a literary masterpiece, a work of art. These are wow. the only words in the entire English language which really do DC's Titanic success story of the year true justice. In this letter, I will attempt to list this story's main characteristics and attributes which are sure to turn into a classic. The art featured in 46 and 47 was an achievement of which every other comic artist in the business should be drooling over in envy. From the cover, a -a once-in-a-lifetime accomplishment, to the very last panel of the story, it was breathtaking. Never have I seen such a magnificent display of fiery colours and lifelike illustrations of our heroes in my life. It literally brought the magazine to life and added zest to the story the likes of which I have never known before. That's a bit of repetition, isn't it? Yeah, and I feel that special notice should be taken of the fabulous drawings of space itself, which were numerous throughout both issues. I don't know how Mexikowski and Sid Green managed to draw those many star constellations and galaxies, but the 3D effect and background they added to the fight scenes were priceless. As for the story itself, as I said before, Masterpiece! it was a prime example of how a team functions how every member unites with the other to work as one and this is the one trait which the justice league dwells upon most to the point of perfection being a story of such great length i must say that each facet fitted remarkably well with the rest of the yarn That is to say, nobody went seemingly unexplained, or was left up in the air as occasionally happens, and the story as a whole was fairly credible and quite easy to understand without a lot of scientific double talk which frequently dominates the JLA stories. There is no doubt in my mind that you'll receive a thousand letters stating that the story was a flop, to the effect that Anti-Matter Man was a totally impossible space villain. Quite contrary to this opinion, I thought the Anti-Matter Man was positively one of the Justice Leaguer's best nemesis yet. He is the kind of opponent who really poses a threat to them, a true obstacle to overcome, and one that requires as much brain to be used as brawn. To expect another episode in the GLA comparable to this one in the near future, or for that matter, any time at all, (laughs) would be cheating. Stories like this one come only once in a lifetime, but let's keep our fingers crossed anyway and look toward the future. That's from Alan Traherne eh, from Covington. And the response to that very positive letter is true. The above is indeed a long, laudatory letter, but it was chosen to balance and offset the two taunting tirades that follow. At least that's playing the critical game Fair and Stormy, editor. So the second letter goes like this. Dear Editor, So far the series of teaming the Justice League with the Justice Society has produced three great classics of literature, that's an exaggeration, and one miserable flop. Wow. Where should I begin? I guess the covers, being the first thing a reader notices, should be dealt with first. Both were indications of what was to be found on the issue, which was not very good. The big event of these two issues, the appearance of the Justice Society, was not mentioned at all on the first cover. Oh, that's okay. Instead, Batman was given top billing. Sandman, making his first appearance in comics in 20 years, was hardly even visible, being sandwiched between Batman on the top and a gigantic thud on the bottom the second cover was too abominable to even talk about ho! the inside story was even worse i had great difficulty switching from one plot to the next and barely understood any one thing i will say is that the idea of the spectre's body bridging a vibrational gap as though it were physical is ridiculous no it's not ridiculous good grief oh come on it's all cosmic we know that think cosmic the ending left me puzzled what brought on the great character change in blockbuster and solomon grundy also, with regards to statements made at the end by Batman, Flash and Green Lantern, I would like to say that I agree with them that risk is necessary to scientific advancement, but risking the total destruction of two entire worlds is going just a little bit too far. That's fair. <laughs> if I could say one good word about these two issues, it would be that Mike Sikowski's pencils were rendered bearable by Sid Green's inking, which I would have recognised, even if you had not told me, by the August countenance of Ye Editor on page 10, Panel 5 of the first issue. That letter is from Don Markstein in New Orleans. Terrific. And the next letter, from one of Peter's favourites, goes like this. Dear Editor, oh boy, if I thought part 1 of the annual GLA JSA bash was crazy, I've got to admit the ending of part 2 was pure insanity. Though the story was serious and the dangers that threatened Earths 1 and 2 definitely on the massive side, my basic reaction was hysterical laughter. How did you dare make Solomon Grundy a good guy? The fans will boil you in oil. (laughs) It's all right for the blockbuster to have occasional attacks of friendliness, but Solomon Grundy? Here is a creation straight out of the Golden Age, calculated to strike terrific terror into the hearts of all ordinary mortals, and you go and destroy the fearsome once and for all? Never again can that massive hulk of inhumanity make us quake and tremble. I'm not criticising your somewhat heavy-handed try for humour. Personally, I enjoyed it immensely. It made the story for me, but I think you let yourself in for a lot of trouble. The conservative element of fandom is also the most eloquently vocal, and I'm pretty sure some of the opinions you receive will burn the paper they're written on and still be suitable for publication. (laughs) There's the rub. The old problem about humour in a comic mag has always been acute in the JLA stories, with Stapper Carr bearing the brunt. But this story is guaranteed to reopen the subject with a vengeance. Good luck. You're going to need it. And that's from, again, future comic pro Irene Vartanoff. Yes. That's a bit harsh of Irene, I think. You know, it's like a, it's like I sort of said, this is the summer spectacular. You know, it's, it's a bit of fun. She's bringing up an interesting point about Solomon Dundee. As we know, he's a character that does go through personality changes. Is this the first major personality ah. change he's had? It could be. Could it be a result of the cosmic energies of antimatter, man, or indeed absorbing some of the the energy of Doctor Fate and Green Lantern, as we saw in the previous issue? It just it's yeah. just taken back to Earth two in this one. He's as far as we're mm-hmm. aware, he's not imprisoned again in the bubble. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I know that Grundy pops up in another GLA jsa team up that's in a, in a few years, so that that will mm-hmm. probably be the next time we see him. So it'll be interesting to see how he's introduced in that, how they take what they take from it. Yes. And in this uh, issue of GLA, we also have an extra letters page, funnily enough, called JLA Mailroom Extra. There's only a couple of letters in this, but we'll just do the first one for you just now. Dear Editor, Topic, JLA Villains, or How to Succeed in Not Succeeding Without Really Trying. There is no such thing as a typical JLA villain. The Justice League must fight evil and villainy brought about by two-bit crooks, evil geniuses, alien monsters, and even well-meaning people. Some of the villains are ordinary earthlings who suddenly become super or acquire a super weapon. These are like Pete Ricketts, who found the Cybernini, and from Jaily Number Eight, Joe Parry, Jaily Thirty One, and even Johnny Thunder, who acquired an Earth Two Thunderbolt. These types have no superpowers and usually lose out because they are not smart enough to use their super weapons effectively. Another type of enemy is the super genius, aren't they always? Race of aliens. Who wants to take over the universe. JLA 7 and 13 featured these types of villains. Next come the monsters. Good old slam, bam, I'm going to bust your headbone type of villain. Blockbuster and Solomon Grundy are typical here. They are not out to conquer the universe or even the world. They just want to tear apart everything in sight and usually do, including Justice Leaguers. Probably the most loved villains are the ones who become villains by accident, by trying to do something good. They nearly ruin everything. I hope we see some more of this type of villain, especially Andrew Helm from G.L.A. 40 Next come the real villainish villains. These are the super criminals. They are hardened criminals who either have superpowers or super weapons. They usually develop these themselves and know how to use them well. They start out by committing robbery or other crimes and end up by deciding that they must get rid of the G.L.A. to get away with their crimes. They are always stopped, not till the end of the story though, and usually defeated and caught, not always, brainstorming GLA 32 and always have the possibility of turning up to plague the GLA again. They are usually egotistical and sure of their success, but occasionally come down on the human level. The utter dread and fear of the six crime champions in page 22 of GLA 22 when they realise their time is up is a good example. The human element serves to make them more believable and likeable as villains. In short... JLA villains run the gauntlet from monsters to geniuses, and each has his place and deserves his appearances. That's from Don Akers from Texas City, Texas. Cool. And the editorial response to this, quite amusingly, says, The above is merely a brief extract from a record-high 22-page letter analysing the JLA in all its aspects. I know. The correspondent is a twenty-year-old student at the University of Houston, where he is majoring in electrical engineering. He rates himself as above average in some things, but mostly an average student. My likes include electronics, music, computers, amateur radio, and of course, the Justice League of America, which he's read from the very first issue. Perhaps in a forthcoming extra, we'll offer for your reading pleasure another extract. Don, if you're out there, please get in touch with us because yes, we'd love to we'd love to chat to you about <laughs> about this. And the second letter says, Dear Editor, I like the Justice Society of America stories you annually feature in the August and September issues of the JLA. I don't know all the members, so I'd appreciate you listing them, along with your secret identities and powers. That's from Craig Britton from Dawagic, Michigan. I think uh, Craig here is basically inventing the Answer Man column that will feature later on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've talked in the past how a lot of people were very glad that the Golden Age characters came back, but obviously there's bound to be some people who weren't aware of them and were maybe encountering them for the first time, so true. this is quite interesting. The editorial response then. Thanks to Jerry Bale's authoritative index to All-Star Comics, we're taking liberty of reprinting the following brief description of the Justice Society members. Atom, Al Pratt College student. Extraordinary strength. Batman, Bruce Wayne playboy. Same as today. Black Canary. Dinah Drake, florist, used judo and a few gimmicks. Dr. Fate, Kent Nelson, playboy, later physician. Power of flight, psi powers, lungs vulnerable. Dr. Midnight, Dr. McNider, former surgeon, blind writer. Night vision, used blackout bomb. Flash, Jay Garrick, research scientist. Same as today. It feels like we've not seen Jay Garrick for ages on the podcast. It's weird. (laughs) Hopefully he'll be along soon. Green Lantern, Alan Scott, radio announcer, executive. Same as today. Hawkman, Carter Hall, Playboy, Scientist, about the same as today. <laughs> Our Man, Rex Tyler, Chemist, one hour of drug induced strength.
1: A <laughs> <laughs> lover
0: of PCP binge. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Our Man's getting mad with it this weekend. Johnny Thunder, Sailor, would be detective, idiot with control of genie like Thunderbolt that could do anything. Wow. Bit harsh. Yeah. Mr. Terrific, Terry Sloan, Financial Wizard, he was a bit more than that. Well, Master maybe. of All Arts and Sciences, okay. Red Tornado, Mrs. Hunkle, Housewife, Brawn, but not much brain. Oh. Sandman, Wesley Dodds, Playboy, used wire poon and gas guns. Yes, he did, but not necessarily in that order. Yes. Spectre, Jim Corrigan, Detective Ghost, almost omnipotent. Superman, Clark Kent, Reporter. Same as today. Starman, Ted Knight, amateur astronomer, used gravity rod giving power of flight and magnetic-like control over matter. That's odd. Mm -hmm. Wildcat, Ted Grant, heavyweight boxing champion, fighting prowess. And finally, Wonder Woman, Diana Prince, army nurse, secretary, intelligence agent, about the same as today. That's very interesting hmm. Nice little rundown there, including Ma Hunkel there as the Red Tornado. Yep. Controversial move there, but yeah, she's included there. We've not seen the Red Tornado yet on the podcast in not any capacity. Either version, no. No. Interesting. That was a fun little extra for the JLA mailroom. If you fancy dropping us a little bit of mail, you can email us at theearth2podcast at com. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you think of the Sandman's new hat. Yes. Tell us what you think about Anti Matterman. Is he the long-lost brother of the anti-monitor? Is there an Uncle Matterman? Please let us know. What are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, 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 no. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and on Instagram. We're at the Earth2 Podcast and both of those. On Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth2. And we post loads of bonus content there. So, yes, please follow us there so you don't miss out. Yep, check out the Instagram and the Facebook. We'll be adding, as usual, all, all sorts of supplementary materials. We'll be digging deep into the the Earth 2 podcast personal archives for a few bits and bobs. So yeah, check it out. So that kind of winds up another GLE JSA 2-parter. Yes, that's been the 66 GLE JSA team-up. How do you think it compares to the other ones? It's maybe my least favourite of the four so far. Interesting. But I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not one I'd be in a rush to reread. Okay. Glad we've read it, but I'm not in a rush to reread it, so... How about yourself I can't say it's my least favourite I think my least favourite in many ways is still the first one mainly because the artwork is so horrible but you know from that point of view I enjoyed this one a lot more I enjoyed the fact it was a proper mix of heroes rather than just the GSA turning up and being the stars for a couple of issues like happened Uh with the the last couple as much as I love the GSA yeah yeah, it was certainly not my least favourite I I enjoyed it very much yeah so that wraps us up for this week Uh, we'll be back next week but until then I've been Peter and I've been David and we'll get you next time on the, the Earth, Earth 2 Podcast. Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. What? Can the Emerald Crusader do? Just, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong name, <just> at all. <laughs> That was great. That's got to be the outtake. The Sandman says, or in some mysterious manner. I'm being very Scottish there.